Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Jonathan Tobin, editor-in-chief of Jewish News Syndicate, a senior contributor to The Federalist, and today's topic is Israel at War. Jonathan Tobin, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. I'd like to start our conversation talking about the escalation that's ongoing in Gaza. And I think the first issue is for Americans often don't understand if Gaza is sovereign territory. uh, How do you classify it in a way that Americans would understand the relationship between Gaza and Israel? Well, uh, Gaza is... um it's nobody's sovereign territory, to be perfectly honest. Um, the last um, universally recognized sovereign of Gaza was Britain before the UN partition in 1947. Um, it was ruled by Egypt from 1948 to 1967. Israel occupied it as a result of the uh, Six-Day War, and it evacuated it, pulled out every Israeli soldier settler in settlement in 2005, handed it over to the Palestinian Authority, and it was, you know, it was like, go ahead. Money was uh, provided. This was their opportunity to create an incubator for peace, if you will. You know, just, you're on your own. What happened was that the Palestinians basically destroyed everything the, the Israelis had left behind, including, you know, facilities that were meant to assist their economy. And then in 2007, Hamas won an election in Gaza, took, took it over in a bloody coup. They, they killed and threw out the people from the Palestinian Authority, the supposed moderates of uh, Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas's party. And they ruled it as an independent Palestinian state in all but name since 2007. That was a period of 16 years. And instead of using uh, the space to and, and the massive amounts of money that poured into Gaza from international agencies, European countries, the United States, to again b- b- create something positive. You know, they have beaches, they have resources. I mean, it's it's small, and it's somewhat crowded. Although you know, parts of Israel have higher population density, despite what you what you said, what mm. you might hear about Gaza. You know, they could have turned it into something really positive. It could have been Singapore on the Mediterranean, or at least something could work. Instead, um, Hamas used basically all that money that poured into there, not to help the people there, many of whom are the descendants of the refugees from the 1948 Israeli War of Independence, and who were kept there by the UN, basically stateless, in order to sort of be props in the ongoing war against Israel. And Hamas used all the aid that poured into Gaza to turn it into a fortress. Um, they built uh, a network of underground tunnels that is larger than the New York subway system. 
and from in, in which they stored munitions, supplies. They built a massive arsenal of rockets and missiles, which they periodically fired indiscriminately at Israeli villages, towns, and cities, prompting a number of um, of exchanges of fire and short you know, military operations from Israel intended to just basically make them stop. Israel never tried to take over Gaza again. It wanted it to just stay there, you know, stay on your side of the line, we'll stay on our side of the line. And I might add, it wasn't really blockaded, despite what you might hear. Now, both Egypt and Israel uh, sought to prevent arms from getting into this terrorist state. I mean, after all, Hamas is a designated international terrorist organization by the United States and most, most countries around the world. You know, at the crossings between Israel and Gaza, every day for those 16 years, uh, convoys of trucks with food, medicine, basically, you know, you name it, going in there, and along with a massive smuggling operation that went through um, underneath the Egyptian border. So it's not like Gaza was starving, quite the contrary. There it is. And um, on October 7th, they violated the then existing ceasefire by basically launching a war, a pogrom, against um, Israeli communities in southern Israel, killing more than 1,200 people, the largest mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, committing unspeakable atrocities, at which point Israel had no choice but to say, we have to go in and take out Hamas. We have to stop, as any country would. You know, imagine if someone did that to the United States, what would we do? When we were attacked on 9-11, we went to the other side of the world to to take out al-Qaeda camps in Afghanistan and their hosts. So Israel is engaged in an operation to basically ensure that there aren't any more October 7th atrocities, as Hamas pledges, you know, continue to do. And I might add, it's very important for people to understand, so what is Hamas? Is it a... Palestinian political party? Are they, you know, is their object peace? Is their object Palestinian independence? They're not interested in peace, and they're not really interested in Palestinian independence. By independence, you mean living alongside the Israelis in peace. Hamas's purpose is the destruction of Israel, the slaughter of its people. That's what its charter says. That's what its rhetoric says. They have never given up on that. They want to turn back the clock, eliminate Israel, and kill its Jews. Israel really has no choice but to take them off the board right now, and that's what they're attempting to do. Can Gazans, Palestinians, be distinguished from Hamas? I've actually seen some polling, which is very disturbing, about the attitudes of people living in Gaza uh, towards October 7th. So is there any distinguishing between the two? And I know this will be an invidious comparison. It's like saying, was there any you know, is, was there any way to distinguish between the Nazis and the German people during World War II? Now, the answer is, of course, yes, they're not the same thing. But as long as Hitler was winning, Hitler was very popular and the Nazi party was very popular and basically everybody in Germany joined it if they didn't want to be excluded from power and all the goodies that goes with the favor of a totalitarian state. Not everybody in Gaza was a member, an active member of Hamas or even an active supporter of Hamas, but Hamas was overwhelmingly popular, remains overwhelmingly popular, as as you say, as the polls say, and also in the West Bank, it's overwhelmingly popular. That's why there hasn't been another election in the West Bank since 2005. 
if we go back in history, I know that's hard for some people in 2005. There were elections in the Palestinian territories that were promoted, you know, that was during the height of George W. President George W. Bush's uh, democracy promotion crusade. And we wanted everybody to be democratic. And that's, you know, that was a laudable sentiment. There was an election. Uh, Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas, Yasser Arafat's uh, successor, was elected the president of the Palestinian authorities. And he's currently serving in the 19th year of his four, of the four-year term that he won in 2005 because he's refused to hold another election. And the reason why he's refused to hold another election is that he knows he'd be beaten by Hamas. So Hamas is very popular, has broad support. Its goals have broad Palestinian support. It is a tragedy to say so, but Palestinian national identity has remained really inextricably tied up with this futile, destructive uh, war against Israel's existence, not to adjust Israel's borders or to change its policies or you know, some sort of minor, you know, it's not a real estate dispute, which is what former President Trump sometimes didn't get. You know, it was a an existential thing. That's why they continue to do things. That's why they perpetrated October 7th. It makes no sense. You know, what did they hope to gain from just killing lots of people, murdering, raping, torturing uh, against a country that is much more powerful than, than Gaza was? But that's their purpose. That's what they're about. That's that's where we are with them. So, yes, not everybody in you know not everybody in Gaza is you know an active terrorist. But the terrorists have their active support, and that's why the terrorists have to be defeated because the people of Gaza have to be convinced. The Palestinian people have to be convinced. But they have to choose another direction, and the only way that will happen is the same way that the German people decided on another direction. Thank God they did. A little too late for six million Jews who were slaughtered in the Holocaust, but Germany isn't the same country it was in 1945 or 1933. Hopefully, at some point in the future, the Palestinians will not be a people that will support a genocidal, really Nazi-like organization like Hamas. Uh, That won't happen unless they're defeated and and just completely destroyed, because if they're allowed to emerge from this, this conflict, still standing, still intact, even though damaged and bloodied, they will claim victory and will rightly claim victory and will go on to do more uh, atrocities and the war, you know, and the conflict will continue along those lines. That's why they have to be defeated. That's why calls for ceasefire are not, you know, something to, you know, as, as much as it sounds nice, yes, we don't want people to be hurt. Nobody does, or at least nobody other than people like Hamas. If the war ends before Hamas is completely defeated, all of their military capability ended, the whole Gaza Strip swept of them, or every tunnel destroyed, then we're just back where we started. And that is impossible. It's impossible for Israel for a number of reasons, not the least of which. There are hundreds of thousands of Jewish refugees, people who were forced to flee their homes in southern Israel. We're now living in central Israel in hotels or with relatives. They can't go home until it's safe to go home. And it's not safe to go home until Hamas is destroyed. Jonathan, uh, the relationship between uh, Palestinians and Israelis, there was uh, work permits of people coming into people's homes and seemingly everything was good and trustworthy. And yet uh, it's been reported that a number of these people 
were complicit in these attacks, providing information, even participating directly. So how could Israel ever again extend trust to the Palestinians after this has happened? Well, um, you raise a very sore and troubling point. It's especially ironic. The communities that were hit in southern Israel by this pogrom, by these awful terrorist atrocities, uh, I think most Americans turn their faces away, and understandably so, from the details of, of what the Palestinians did on October 7th. But what is deeply ironic is that if you put this in a domestic Israeli political context, these were the the most left-wing constituencies in Israel, the, the ones that were most open to co- you know, to um, wanting peace with the Palestinians, most opposed to Prime Minister Netanyahu and his... Uh, his government, these were largely communities, uh, you know, especially Berry and some of the kibbutzim. These were very left-wing constituencies. And these people had welcomed Palestinians into their homes. The Palestinian workers had crossed the border every day and, um, you know, worked in these places, were welcomed there. And indeed, as it turns out, many of those workers helped map out, helped plan, and then participated in, in the in the pogroms and the slaughter of October 7th. That hit home very hard in Israel. The people on the Israeli left who were already decimated by, you know, the last great disillusionments of the peace process, the the second intifada, you know, which blew up the Oslo peace process where, you know, Israel offered the Palestinian, Israel offered the Palestinians basically everything they wanted and they responded, Arafat responded in 2000 with a war, terrorist war of attrition that basically destroyed the power of uh, the Israeli Labor Party, which had championed these policies. I, I think the Israeli left is, you know, is even more destroyed. It doesn't mean that Netanyahu is personally popular. He's not. He's a very divisive figure. Israel spent most of the year before October 7th arguing about a judicial reform plan, and people on the left hated it, people on the left, right supported it. You know, that's, that's an argument almost from, you know, a, a different age right now. Mm. But they're united. The Israelis are united behind the war because they know uh, their homes and their safety are at stake. That's why everything I hear from the Israeli army, the troops fighting, morale there is very high because, you know, they're not like, you know, I don't mean any disrespect to American troops who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, all honor to them. I mean, thank you for your service. The truth is, the Israelis who are fighting in Gaza know directly that they are fighting for their families and their homes. You know, the morale is very high. There's no doubt about the rightness of what they're doing. You know, you ask, can Israel ever trust Palestinian Arabs again? Um, they, they're not going to trust them for a long time. I can tell you that. I, I would, you know, human beings, we're very resilient creatures. We we cling to hope and to the, the hope of... Uh, faith and grace, you know, given the slightest opportunity, we will, you know, we will seize a chance to think better of our human, you know, fellow human beings and to have hope for a future of peace and prosperity and safety. So I'm not going to say there will never again be trust between Israelis and Arabs um, and the Palestinian Arabs, but not for a long time and not under these circumstances again. And there, you know, whatever happens after the war, you know, after the fighting stops, the crossings aren't going to be opening uh, with uh, allowing the Palestinian workers to, to cross in and to work in these communities again, which have to be rebuilt, I might add. So that's that's not going to happen. 
The Shelling Show Unleashed podcast continues in a moment with our guest, Jonathan Tobin. Online at shillingshow.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit shillingshowmedia.com. That's shillingshowmedia.com. Shilling Show Unleashed. Jonathan Tobin joins us here on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. He's editor-in-chief of Jewish News Syndicate. We're talking about Israel at war. And Jonathan, I'd like to talk about the accusations against Israel of how they're conducting this offensive, being accused of quote-unquote indiscriminate bombing, when it seems to me that Israel's fighting a war to their own detriment to try to protect innocent human lives. Yeah, that's to say that it's ironic, I mean, it doesn't even come close enough. If Israel used all of the firepower at its disposal, it would have just turned Gaza into a parking lot, it would have just blown the whole place up. But that's not what they did. They sent their army in, you know, they're experiencing casualties among the Israeli troops, over 160 have been killed, which is an enormous amount for a very small country like Israel, you know, where everybody knows somebody and everybody serves, um, most everybody serves. You know, they have tried to go in and distinguish between civilian targets and Hamas targets. They try to avoid killing civilians in ways that, you know, listen, for all the really unfair criticisms from the Biden administration, you know, the Pentagon routinely sends um, military, excuse me, officers to Israel to get training in how the Israelis do it. Mm-hmm. You know, to say that they're the most moral army in the world, that's, you know, you can say that's hyperbole, but they have the most strict rules of engagement of basically any army in the world. That's why this is taking so long. That's why it's so difficult. It's why the Israelis are taking casualties. You know, a lot of people are being killed in Gaza. There's no question. I mean, I wouldn't believe the Hamas statistics from the quote-unquote Gaza Health Ministry, which is just a Hamas propaganda outlet. Clearly, a lot of people are, are being killed. Now, I might add... The whole, the only, you know, the reason why so many Palestinians are being killed is that Hamas uses their own civilians as human shields. They deliberately fire, you know, they place their weapons in schools and in hospitals. They use they use all the hospitals as as you know headquarters and as supply points, knowing that Israel is never going to blow up a hospital, despite what they claim. And under schools, the UN facilities, particularly, I mean the. UN Relief Works Agency, which is the Palestinian UN's refugee agency for the Palestinians, because they have two, UN has two refugee agencies, one for the Palestinians and one for the rest of the world, just to show how crazy this situation is. You know, they deliberately place themselves around civilians so as to, because their goal, you know, it's like if they shoot and kill Israelis, Jews, they're happy. If the Israelis shoot and kill Palestinians, Hamas is also happy. You know, that's their goal, too. They, they, they'll they fight to the last civilian. They've done their best. Now, of course, they're firing. They're still firing missiles and rockets from the areas that they still hold into Israel. But one of the things, you know, they are 
they're constantly falling short. Over 2,000 rockets and missiles fired from by Hamas and their Palestinian Islamic Jihad allies have fallen short in Gaza and no doubt caused you know, enormous numbers of casualties, um, which is what happened when they, in the first week of the war, the famous story where, you know, the whole world claimed, you know, believed the Hamas story that Israel had struck a hospital, but in fact it was a Palestinian rocket that had hit actually the parking lot of the hospital. You know, that that's where we are with that issue. Israel does its best. It's not going to be perfect. You know, any war, the bullets and the, you know, and the shells are flying. People are going to get hurt. Anybody in the middle of it is liable to get hurt. Anybody who's ever been in a war zone will tell you that or covered one will tell you that. But Israel's doing its best. But of course, it's being smeared as uh, targeting civilians, committing genocide, which is just gaslighting because they're Jews, because Israel is treated and in, in, in is discriminated against by the, the world media. Um, wars go on everywhere and nobody cares about them. You know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in Syria during the Syrian civil war by Bashar Assad and his Iranian and Russian allies. You know, did anybody care in the United States? Did anybody do anything? Nope. Um, I could cite you wars all over. The only time people get riled up about any number of civilian casualties, even small numbers, is when they can blame the Jews for it. I mean, it's just it's just the way it works. And if you think that's not, you know, a product of anti-Semitism, you're just not paying attention. Jonathan, I'd like to talk about Iran and their complicity in all of this, uh, particularly using their proxies, Hezbollah, the Houthis, and, and help us to understand what's going on there, particularly with Yemen and the Houthis, as people in America probably were not familiar with that group. What is their purpose as far as Iran goes toward Israel? Well, Iran is, um, you know, the world's leading state sponsor of terror. They basically, Hezbollah, which controls Lebanon, is basically an Iranian auxiliary. They, they work for Iran. The Houthis are a terrorist group operating in Yemen. Uh, Iran also helps, fund, you know, fund Hamas. And Iran's purpose is the destruction of Israel and the destruction of West. Israel is the little Satan. America is the great Satan. So their real target is us here in the United States. The deal with the Houthis is particularly important, and it's somewhat ironic. One of the priorities of the Biden administration when it came into power in 2021 was to end the ongoing effort of the Saudis to um, put down the Houthis in Yemen. The, Saudi, you know, the Saudis were fighting a war with the Yemen's government to basically destroy the Houthis. It was a bloody, it was, you know, it was a miserable thing. But Biden, who came into office declaring the Saudis to be the worst thing in the world and seeking to sort of follow up the Obama administration's policies of appeasing Iran, shut down, basically forced the Saudis to shut down the war against the Houthis. The Houthis, um, therefore, went from being on the brink of destruction to, you know, rearming, re-upping, and they're much stronger now than they were, you know, when, when Trump left office, to be perfectly honest. Right now, Iran is using them to threaten uh, navigation in the, in the Persian Gulf, around the Horn of Africa. Um, they have the ability to make it hard for people, you know, for the flow of oil, this is, and they're attacking Americans in that area. And the Biden administration is loath to get involved. It's loath to do something about it. Now, nobody wants to get involved with a war in Yemen. Nobody wants Americans to be fighting in Yemen 
or to be involved in a war with Iran, but America's policy in this on this issue has been such that the Iranians and their Houthi auxiliaries think that they have a free pass and they can do whatever they want. And as a result, Americans are being shot at. Now, you know, ships are being shot at in that region, and uh, our strategic interests are being endangered because we basically sent a, a signal, like our withdrawal from Afghanistan and, and the disastrous way we, we withdrew, um, that the United States is weak, it's irresolute, nobody has to take us into account, and that's what's happening there. Now, the Houthis don't really have the ability to do any damage to Israel because of the distance. The idea, uh, I think the fear on the part uh, on October 7th, on the part of many people, both in Israel and the United States, was that Iran was going to use its auxiliaries, both especially Hezbollah and Lebanon, to launch you know, a second front against Israel and to try to bail out Hamas. Um, they haven't done that. Now, Hezbollah has been firing rockets and missiles over the border into northern Israel nonstop, but they haven't really escalated to the point where it's a war. Again, thousands and thousands of Israelis have been forced to flee their homes along the border in northern Israel for fear that Hezbollah was planning their own October 7th style massacres. Um, those refugees have to go home. But so far, it hasn't, you know, they, the Lebanese people don't want to happen to Lebanon. What happened the last time, there was a full scale exchange with Israel that was started by Hezbollah. Um, Hezbollah has been deterred, at least somewhat. I think once Hamas is finished, uh, Hezbollah is going to have to cease fire or they're going to be in trouble. And Iran can't save them. And if the United States was smart, we'd be tell, you know, we'd be unleashing the Saudis on the Houthis and warning rather than sort of appeasing Iran and Hezbollah and Lebanon, warning them to stop shooting or else this war will spread because Israel will not tolerate its security, you know, its, its people being shot at in this manner. Finally, Jonathan, what does Israel do from here? Let, let's presume that they are successful in dismantling Hamas. Where do they go from there? Because it seems like a very tenuous stage that Israel lives on worldwide. I would say it is a certainty that Israel will succeed. It will take time. It will not be easy. It will be messy. But that's why Hamas should surrender. You know, every every person who gets killed in Gaza now is every, every person who's been killed in Gaza since October 7th is Hamas's responsibility. They started this war, they escalated it. You know, they did all this. There is no way for them to escape. They are keep thinking that the international community, the Americans, you know, the American, you know, so-called, you know, people demonstrating for a ceasefire that they will save them and somehow they will emerge from this. It's not gonna happen. They are going to be destroyed completely. It's only a matter of time, um, however long it takes. That's why they should surrender, give up the hostages, save the lives of their own people, and let them start to rebuild. Now, what happens after the fighting stops in Gaza? Well, you know, I, I think immediately people think, well, what's the solution? What's the plan for peace um, that will, you know, end all of this? And there is no plan for peace that will end all of this. Um, it's going to be a long, long wait before there is anything like that. Israel will never again allow. I mean, Netanyahu laid out his three prerequisites for peace in a Wall Street Journal article this week. 
which he said, you know, Hamas must be eliminated, Gaza must be demilitarized. By that he meant no Palestinian military. There are no Palestinian terror movements there. And basically he said it has to be denazified. It has, you know, Palestinian people have to embrace peace and give up, you know, their hateful, you know, genocidal ideology that Hamas uh, promotes. The first will happen. The second will happen. Israel will never allow uh, another Palestinian military to arise there again. That would just it's anybody who thinks different is dreaming. They will not let that happen. As to the changes in the heart, uh, a sea change in the political uh, culture of the Palestinians, I you know I'm, I can't be optimistic about that because their national identity has been tied up in this futile century-long war, you know, to basically to turn back the clock and to throw the Jews out. And that's not happening. And they're going to have to, the only way, the only path forward for them is to give up, you know, these, these feudal dreams and to embrace peace. Now, is that impossible? A lot of, you know, supposedly smart people say that's impossible. A mosque is an idea. It can't be eliminated. Well, you know, it, with difficulty, sure. But, you know, Nazism was an idea and it was eliminated. It was a very strong idea. You know, it conquered most of Europe. It had the loyalty of most uh, Germans, the largest and the most uh, educated and culturally powerful country in Europe. And yet it was eradicated. It took, you know, basically turning that country into rubble to get there, just as it's, you know, Israel is, alas, being forced to turn much of Gaza into rubble to root out the, the Hamas. Um, but eventually, you know, the Germans saw what happened and they took another path. Thank God. The Palestinian people have to take another path. I'm not optimistic about that because much of the world, including Western Europe and a lot of supposedly well-meaning people in this country, have encouraged them to continue along their current path and to think that they can continue calling for Israel's elimination, continue uh, committing outrages, and never be held accountable. That's the whole point of these ceasefire, these quote-unquote pro-Palestinian demonstrations, which are mostly just anti-Semitism, calling for Israel's elimination from the river to the sea, as if most of the people yelling that could identify either body of water, um, or calling for a globalized intifada, which is basically just saying slaughter the Jews. Um, this is anti-Semitism, but the people, you know, if you want to help the Palestinians, tell them to turn away from Hamas, turn away from a version of Palestinian nationalism that calls for Israel's elimination. Once they do that and mean it and, and show that they've given up terrorism and the idea of quote unquote resistance as a way to reverse history, then basically anything is possible. But, I, you know, we're a long, long way away from that, maybe generations away from that. So there's no solution. There's not going to be some kind of magical. This isn't going to be another Palestinian state in Gaza, not for a long time, um, because though they're willing to give up this war, you know, there will be no such thing. There will be no peace, but there will be Israeli security because the Israelis, like any other people in the world, are not going to just sit back and wait for themselves, wait for the next uh, attempt to slaughter them. Jonathan Tobin, if people would like to follow your work online, would you tell us how we could do that best? Well, go to JNS.org. Uh, we, we, we're there every day, six days a week, uh, with news throughout the day, news, opinion. Uh, watch our YouTube channel for JNS there. 
do videos and podcasts, subscribe to our twice a day newsletters, which give you everything that you need to know about the Middle East, Israel, and the Jewish world. Jonathan Tobin, thank you so much for spending time with us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.